If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you yet, my name is Kari. I'm one of the pastors here. As I mentioned, yes, I'm pregnant. Some of you may have wondered. We're not super far along, so this is the official. There's a baby in the oven. This is baby three. We like baby three. We don't stop when we're ahead. Um, so be praying for me. It's the return of the pregnant preacher. And um, I'm a little bit clumsy when I preach and I'm pregnant, so pray special protection over this. Amen. Also, you may have noticed I'm not Pastor Lance. Pastor Lance would not be pregnant. Also, he had a foot surgery this week. Um, he'd had the same surgery on, a, on another foot a couple years back. And so he's recovering. And, and I know, I don't know everything involved in this foot surgery, but I do know that they're like slicing into the Achilles tendon and all that. Uh, it's so gross. Um, but he's doing well. So pray for him and his speedy recovery and just, uh, you know, health and protection. This morning, we are finishing up our series on the book of Revelation. How many of you have gotten a lot out of this series the last few weeks? It has been good. It has been so good to get into the word. I have to say, Puget Sound Foursquare, I have seen a passion for God's word come alive in our church in the last few weeks. That we have wanted to study really what it is. Hey, thanks, babe. This is my husband. I don't call everyone babe. Um... (laughs) We have been able to study what God has said in his word. And what's amazing about the book of Revelation is that it's a book of prophecy. It's a book talking about things that will come. We as the church are starting to recognize that some of those things have come now, haven't they? Some of the signs that the end days, the end times are coming, we're living in the midst of that. And so if there is any time for us to be aware that Jesus is coming back, that the end of days is near, it's now. I love the approach that Pastor Lance has taken in the last few weeks talking about the book of Revelation because it's without fear. It's without sensationalizing it. It's pretty sensational on its own. We can kind of let the word of God stand on its own. But many times when we talk about the end, we start getting fearful or we get really interested in the details and we can start bickering and fighting. I can say my husband and I have had many spirited discussions this last week based on theology Where I say, no, I read it this way. And he's like, no, look at the facts. I mean, like, it's it's awesome. I respect my husband so much. He he loves the word of God. And maybe that's been happening in your home too. This is the last week that we're going to be talking about it. And we're going to be taking, I wouldn't say a turn, but we're going to be going deeper into one aspect of the book of Revelation. Last week, Pastor Lance laid out an end time timeline. There's a few different Christians debate kind of how this timeline will play out. Pastor Lance laid out the one that he believes is the most biblically based. So if you're looking for that type of discussion, please listen to last week's sermon. I think that it's really complete. It's really thought-provoking. And it points us to scripture. But today, we're going to talk about one of those things in the midst of it. And it's the thing that I believe concerns you and I the most. Whether or not we are alive for the day that Jesus returns, we all will be at this moment. Every one of us will be there for this moment. And it's the issue of final judgment. Dum, dum, dum. Judgment. It's like, it's funny. I think people outside the church, and maybe some in, think that preachers are like, yes, I get to talk about hell. Like, everyone thinks that that's going to be, like, a fun thing. It's not at all. It's, It's something that a lot of pastors and preachers will avoid. I've been one of them. My husband and I, we get to teach the doctrine class at this church, the Foursquare Doctrine class. And it's, I think I'm in the midst of teaching maybe the fifth time right now. 
And there's like 20 some subjects that we cover. And during the, during the course of the, of the study of the class that we do, we bring in different pastors to teach on different parts of it. And, um, I have taught, my husband and I have taught on every single subject except for judgment, heaven, and hell. We always pass that off to someone else. I have been one that is, that has avoided it because it comes with a lot of connotations and, and sometimes fear, sometimes mystery. It can put us into, I mean, am I the only one that sometimes thinks about the final judgment and thinks like, I know I'll be there, but I don't really want to think much about it. Because there's a, first of all, finality, and there's judgment. These are things that in America, we don't like at all. In America, there's no such thing as right and wrong. And yet in the final judgment, Christ speaks yes or no, right or wrong, life or death, finally on our lives. And I think that, I mean, I have been scared to touch this subject, and yet as I've been in my research about it, learning about this moment that we stand before Jesus, every human standing before Jesus, I've learned that this really is one of the most exciting subjects and one of the most, I I just feel this enormous privilege to be able to talk about it this morning. Because if there's anything that we should be talking about, I think it's this. I think that it's this issue of standing before Jesus at the end. What will your life count for? What does your life mean? Who do you align yourself with? Can we pray this morning? God, you are so good. Lord, God, I thank you that your story is complete. Lord, I thank you that judgment is, the, is not the only part of your character. Holy Spirit, I pray this morning, God, that you would silence the voice of fear in this place in Jesus' name. God, I pray that your love that calls to us, that runs after us, that chases us, would be so palpable in this room. God, I do pray that we would come to a place of reckoning and understanding that your return is near. Our lives are fragile and that we will stand before you one day. Holy Spirit, reign in this place. We lift up your name, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. You know, um... Before we talk about this issue of final judgment, because if you were here last week, you saw Pastor Lance lay out some different events, one thing after another, that will come in this end times, whether it be the tribulation or the rapture, the antichrist, um, different, different moments. But within that is judgment. And every human will be there. And before I get into the theology, if you know me, I'm, I'm excited to get into kind of the theology of it. It excites me. But if this, is a, if this is a study on judgment, and we know there's fear around judgment, unfortunately, the Bible does not say that clear theology casts out all fear. Like, that's kind of the direction that I would naturally go. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And judgment is a moment. It is a moment in the story of God and man and their relationship. It's just a moment. If we don't look at the entire story, it'll be taken out of context. Have any of you ever known somebody and only known one thing about them and you believe something about them, but because you don't know the whole story, you don't see the whole person? Like, for example, if I were to tell you, this is actually true, there's, um, I have a relative, a family member, who, if you met her, this is, and, and, I mean, if you met her today, she is bubbly, she is happy, she's kind of the life of the party, just kind of like sunshine in a room. But over the last year, she has been, um, kind of crying at night, every night that that, that overwhelming emotion takes over. 
And if that was the only thing you knew about my relative, you'd think, man, she needs some counseling. What's going on? Is she hiding something? But if I told you that that relative of mine is my one-year-old daughter, and for the last year she cries at night, you'd be like, yeah, she's a baby. That's perfectly normal. If we know about Jesus, the only thing that we know about Jesus is judgment. We don't understand all of who he is. We're going to get something skewed in the midst of it. So what is the story of God and man? Every time I teach a class, every time I preach a sermon, I seem to always put this right here in the middle. And sometimes I feel repetitive about talking about the story of salvation, but I remember Billy Graham. He passed away this last week. The dude had a one-note sermon, didn't he? Turn to Jesus. And if my life is one note, I'm going to be perfectly happy as long as it's that note. So if you know this story of what God has done for us, receive it, understanding it is the center of who we are. And if you don't know the story, listen up. It'll change you. There was God in the beginning. Three parts in one. The Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In perfect unity. You know, the essence of who God is, is relationship. It is love. Three parts in one. They, that just relationship exists. He is motivated by love and relationship. So he created man in his own image. Man and woman. And the purpose of humanity was just to be in relationship with God. That was all that it was. He didn't intend for us ever to die. Did you know that? We were never supposed to die. We were supposed to live on and on. Adam and Eve were supposed to be with us right now. There was never supposed to be sickness or pain or fighting. Those things were the result of sin. Now, God had seen sin before. Satan was one of his angels, and he sinned and turned against God And because God is so magnificent and so holy and so perfect, I mean, just brilliant in who he is, he could not be in the presence of sin. And so he created a place for Satan and these fallen angels, his demons, called hell. No one was supposed to be in hell except for Satan and the demons. And when he created man, it was just to have perfect relationship. But when we sinned ourselves... We separated ourselves from God. God did not push us away. We stepped back. We put sin in the way. And so now this place, this judgment that would have had to come, now death is entered into the picture. And because of where sin leads you, which is hell, God said, oh, there's going to be a judgment for my people that I created to love and have perfect relationship with. And they separated themselves from me. This idea of judgment came from the very beginning. And God knew it was just, but his heart was broken. And he wanted to restore that relationship with humanity. He wanted to do whatever he could to protect humanity from going to hell. So he, he, he did so many things. He pursued us with his love. He created the first covenant. The Bible says that there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. So in the first covenant, we would... Um, that God created a way for humans to sacrifice animals and for that blood to be in place to forgive their sins so they wouldn't have to die. But the problem was humans just kept sinning and sinning, and there, was never, there were never enough sacrifices available for people. So God created a permanent solution. God cared so much that we don't go to hell and be separated from him forever that he literally died himself for us. Jesus is God, and he came down 100% man, 100% God. And when he died on the cross, his blood was there to forgive our sins. The wages of sin is death. 
Jesus died for us, and his blood brought that forgiveness of sin. All he was doing was trying to protect us from standing in final judgment before him and being separated forever. If we think that we have a God who wants to send us to hell, you are dead wrong. He has done everything in his power to provide a way for us to live with him eternally. Heaven is just restored Eden. Heaven is just restoring what his original plan was, which is perfect love, relationship for eternity. Isn't that good? Can I hear an amen? I mean, come on, people. God is love. But we have always known that this time of judgment would come. Now, as humans, we're not actually the only ones that will be judged. There are multiple judgments that will happen in these end times. There's the judgment of the believers, of the non-believers. There's the judgment of Israel. Israel still matters to God. There's the, there's the um, judgment of Gentile nations. We're one of them. So if you need a reason to pray for America, do it. We're going to stand in judgment as a nation. Does that scare you? <laughs> it scares me sometimes. And there's going to be the judgment of Satan and his demons. And there will be a moment at which he locks them in hell for all of eternity. Church, non-church, Jesus is calling And these moments of judgment that we will stand are real, aren't they? And if it it strikes this note within you that says like, oh, that's uncomfortable, or oh, that makes me nervous, and where do I stand in the midst of this? I believe that as we get into the word of God this morning, we're going to be able to bring some clarity to those questions. And I hope and pray that as we all leave here, Number one, all of us would know Christ and be covered in his blood and his love so that we don't have to stand final judgment. But two, I pray that we would have a burning desire to tell people about who Jesus is because he came for us. Now, none of us are without sin. If if, if you're thinking like, I don't know if I sinned, I don't know if I not. The Bible says there is no one just, not one. All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. That anxiety within us is proof that something is a little bit off. I mean, my son and my daughter, they're four and one. And like, already, I mean, Oakley, she can't even talk. And when she's done something wrong, if I say like, no, don't touch the garbage. The look on her face of guilt is like, oh my gosh. She's seen me. Like, there's something within us from the first moments that understands that there's a disconnect from perfection, who God really is. Now we're going, um, now do you know, there, there are plenty of people who would say that hell doesn't exist anymore. Many people, um, even Christians, they want to ignore the possibility altogether. But do you know who talked about hell the most in the Bible? It was Jesus. Jesus talked the most about it. I think that part of the reason he talked the most about hell is because he's going to be the judge who who then judges people at the end. I mean, here he is literally dying for us so that we don't have to be separated from him, and then he will be the judge. And so he felt passionate about this subject. He didn't say it as a possibility or a theory. It was a reality that he wanted to save us from. But then what's what's on the other side? If he has saved us from from hell, then where do we get to be? We get to be in heaven. We get to be in eternity. So what would this judgment look like? So say that What will this judgment look like, I should say? If you do not know Jesus and you were to die 
and you're standing in judgment before Christ, because Christ is the judge, Jesus is the judge, what does that look like? Well, we know that it's called the great white throne of judgment. It's talked about in Revelation 20. Now, I have a different translation. I'm reading from the ESV on my paper. There's the NIV on the screen. We're still going to put it up, but there will be a disconnect. I'm not making up the Bible, by the way. Like, I'm not like, this sounds nicer. Let me say it in my own words. It's a different translation. But this is what, in Revelation 20, it talks about this moment of standing before God in judgment. It says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. Put that in, put that in the back of your mind for a second, just according to what they have done. We're going to talk a little bit about that in a moment. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. Jesus is going to stand as this judge, and all of creation will stand before him. Now, if you are not a Christian, and when I say Christian, I don't mean like a part of a church. I'm talking about identifying with Jesus, repenting of your sins. He's going to open up a book of life that has the names written in it of those who know God, who have surrendered themselves to Christ. And if your name is not found in it, you are then separated from God forever. I am so glad that God, that Jesus is a just judge. There's a lot of talk in our nation about like a corrupt justice system. I know that I'm somebody that has to judge situations with my kids all the time. My kids are awesome. They are at the age right now, four and one, where they're starting to play together really well, and it's the sweetest. Like, they laugh, and they chase each other, and, like, they'll sit together on the couch and watch movies and kind of snuggle. Like, it's adorable. Seriously. Like, tears to my eyes. adorable. Some of you have been there before. But on the other side, they now fight like siblings. It's ridiculous. I'm like, this is a one-year-old. How do you know to pull your brother's hair? Like, who taught you this? And so I'll be in the other room, and I'll hear them fighting, and it's usually like law yelling, sissy, no, and then my daughter's like, ah, like it's like, that's all I can hear. That's my only context, and then I go into the room, and I have to assess the situation. Parents, you know what I'm talking about, like you look, and I'm like, okay, if law's hiding underneath a chair, that means he hit Oakley, but if Oakley's standing over the top of him with the toy raised, (laughs) that means I need to pick her up and take her away from the situation. I have to be a judge in that moment with imperfect information. I don't actually know what happened. I just have to say, like, law. I mean, like, I mean, like if I have something that I don't know what it is, I'll just say, like, law, stop taking toys from your sister, because usually that's the situation. <laughs> Jesus isn't that kind of judge. He's not like, oh, your name's not in the book of life. Must mean you suck. Close the book and it's done. <laughs> Jesus is not like that. You hear people say, you don't know me, so you can't judge me. Jesus does know you. Jesus knows everything about you. He has been there at every moment. He has sat next to you in your greatest heartbreak when you thought you were completely alone. He knows who you are. As humans, we tend to, have you heard this saying, that we will judge other people by their actions, but we judge ourselves by our intentions. 
That's, that's the type of imperfect judge that we are. That's part of the reason why we shouldn't judge other people. And yet Jesus knows our actions and our intentions. And because he knows our intentions, I, I believe that's a huge part of his compassion for us. He knows when you messed up and you felt out of control. He knows when you tried to do the right thing over and over and over and over again, and yet you failed. He knows. And he, that's why he, I, I believe that's a huge part of his compassion for us, is because he says, you are weak, let me be strong. You are incapable of making it to the mark. Let my blood cover you so that you can be there with me. If you are not, if you are not a believer and you come before Jesus and your name is not written in the book of life, Jesus is not angry. He's sad. But there is sin to account for. Now, it's interesting. It does say that um, judgment in this, this type of judgment, because you're not covered by the blood of Jesus, there's no way for you to be able to be in heaven. However, you are continued to be judged based on your works, which is really interesting. I I didn't necessarily know that before, but the Bible's pretty clear. We We can't earn salvation with our works, but however, our works are weighed before Jesus. And so, um, we see, we, um, we see here in Matthew 25, this is a very familiar uh, passage of scripture to many of us, but this is the scene of Jesus standing before people, and it's, it's, many people know it as the sheeps and the goats, or the sheep and the goats. There's no sheeps, right? When the Son of Man comes in glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before, them will be gather, before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will sep- separate people on his right. Oh, I'm sorry. He will separate people one from another. The shepherd shep- separates the sheep and the goats, and he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty. And he gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you? Or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Now, this gets repetitive, but we're going to read straight through it because this is the word of God and it changes lives. Then he said to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Remember, hell was not prepared for people. We had sin come in our lives and then that was the consequence of our sin. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will have eternal life. Our, the way we live our life does matter. Now, I have read from, there are, there are many theologians who believe, and I think there's some scriptural basis for it, for sure, 
that in hell, because you can never earn your way to God, there are varying degrees of punishment based on the works that are weighed before God. Um, But hell is never a pleasant place at all, ever. You can live an incredibly good life, and it's never going to be a place that you want to be. Here are some things that um, the Bible says in describing hell. Number one, separation from God. Now, before we go to number two, let's remember who God is. Who does the Bible say God is? God is love. If you are separated from God, there is no love. God is the prince of peace. That means that if you're separated from God, there is no peace. Can you imagine never, ever, ever having peace? Maybe some of you have neighbors that give you never, ever, ever any peace. You know what I'm talking about. God is compassionate. Holy Spirit is our counselor. He is our comfort. When we say that you are separated from God for eternity, we're not talking about just the idea of God. We're talking about the essence, the nature of God. There's none of that. Two, uh, hell is described as outer darkness, as an eternal or unquenchable fire, that there will be everlasting contempt, everlasting torment, ever eternal punishment, everlasting destruction or ruin, where the worm dies not. Don't know what that means, but I'm sure it means something. Someone could, you know, I'm sure one of you knows. There is the wrath of God, the retribution or punishment proportionate to the evil, and it is the second death. The people, humans, church, non-church, whoever you are, this is not where you have to go. This is not where you have to live. And the people that you know around you who are rejecting the Lord, let's get talking about Jesus. Amen? Let's start telling people about who Jesus is. Because the, uh, the judgment for the believer is way different. It is entirely different. It's night and day. We do not have to live in fear, but we should live with motivation. Because what is it if you are a believer in Christ, that you have come to the cross and repent of your sins, what does your judgment look like? Well, first of all, Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore no, now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Did you know that as Christians, a lot of our judgment has already happened? This blew my mind. I, didn't, I, I would always say, like, judgment was at the cross. But I didn't really know what that meant. Do you know that as for Christians, literally, our judgment, the judgment that the non-believer will face at the end, has already happened. It happened on the cross. With Jesus dying for us and shedding his blood, our judgment is done. And our individual judgments, the moment that we've stand, stood before God and asked for forgiveness, if we have come to him the moment of our salvation was actually our moment of judgment. When we received Christ and said, I am guilty, how would that be if you were in a courtroom and you said, I plead guilty? That's what happens when you become a Christian, when you are a Jesus follower, when you repent. You say, I am guilty, Jesus. Will you forgive my sins? Would you cover me with your blood? I can't do this on my own. I need you. That was our judgment. Our judgment is through. Does that like feel like a weight off your shoulders a little bit like it does to me? My judgment's done. Now, the reasons why people don't want to come to Christ partially is because of the sin in our lives or the pride. But knowing this, I, th- I would guess that part of that anxiety of repenting and coming to Jesus for the first time is that we know somewhere in our spirit that this is our moment of judgment. 
This is the thing that looms, and it keeps us sometimes from coming to God. But the wonderful thing is that Jesus always gives us the same answer, which is, I forgive you. You are forgiven. It doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't, doesn't matter where you have been. My blood covers all of that. Do we serve a good God? We serve a good God. Now, um, so if we say, so John 5, 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. 1 John 1, 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, now this is real talk. You're a Christian now. You're saved. The blood of the Jesus has covered you. You have stood your judgment. What if you continue to sin? Am I the only person who has continued to sin since coming to Jesus? I hope I'm not. Jesus knows that we are still human and we still have a sin nature. And so how could we have been judged if we continue to sin? Do we have to be judged over and over and over again? Well, actually, the Bible tells us the Bible tells us that Jesus becomes our advocate to the Father. So the perfect, holy love of God, the brilliance of his perfection, we wouldn't be able to have relationship with him in our state of our sin if it weren't for Jesus. So as Christians, if we continue to sin, then Jesus will go to the Father as our advocate and say, I got this covered. It's okay. Maybe not it's okay. It's paid. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. This is 1 John 2, 1. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is appropriation of our sin, and not only ours, but also for the sins of the world. So having been judged at the cross, we have had our judgment already happen. So what will happen then in the end? Last week, Pastor Lance talked about this End, li- end time timeline. That's hard to say. End line time time. Um, end time timeline. So why then do we still, why then as Christians do we still come in judgment before Christ? What does that mean? What does it look like? Is it just kind of like a, oh, hey, Bob, great to see you. Come on through. I mean, like, what's the situation that's happening here? But having been judged already at the cross, the faithful will not stand in judgment to their salvation but rather to receive rewards for their service. I've had this weird, I know that I'm not the only person who's had this weird kind of thought, like, should I want rewards in heaven? Is that pride? Do I, like, forfeit my rewards in heaven if I seek the rewards in heaven? No. God tells us to want rewards in heaven. That the way that we have lived our life will be weighed before God in the same way that the non-believer will come before God and he will weigh their actions That will happen for us too. Our actions don't get us to heaven. However, they are the fruit of our lives. And so the believer's judgment at the end is that we will, I don't know exactly how it works. I like to imagine it's like this ball of my life, like being put before God. And it's going to go through a fire. And the things that we have done, our sin, our selfishness, maybe good things done for the wrong reasons, are going to be burned away. But the things that remain are going to be the things that we have done unto the Lord to build his kingdom with the right intention. 
with the right heart of worship. It would be easy to look at other Christians and say, oh man, they've got a long resume of good things they've done for Christ. But only God knows their heart. Only God knows your heart. I've been blessed enough to, be, to have grown up in a Christian family who loved the Lord. I have gone on more outreaches than I can count trying to tell people about Jesus. I have had, um, I've had moments where I was really blessed to be able to smuggle some Bibles into a communist country when I was 18. It was amazing. I have no idea what that's going to look like before Christ, to be honest. It sounds like a really great Christian thing, but I, if I'm going to be really transparent with you, which I hope that you would all be, I've had selfish intention in some of that. There have been times when I've gone out and told people about Jesus, and it was like kind of in bitterness, like, man, so-and-so's telling me that I got to tell them about Jesus, so I guess I have to tell them about Jesus. That wasn't a pure heart. I, like, I have a fear of the Lord when I read about my life being put through this fire and being tested as to how I lived, because it doesn't matter what your resume is. The Lord knows your heart, and maybe, maybe you feel like you've missed your shot You've come to the Lord late in your life and you don't have much to offer. Well, you still got this breath right now. When we talk about this judgment, in 2 Corinthians 5.10 it says, For we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one of us may, re- may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then back in 1 Corinthians 3 it says, Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. The day is the day of judgment. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. But only as through fire. We don't, I don't want you to misunderstand and think for some reason that, you're, that, that if you have done, you're, you're saved, you're covered by the blood of Jesus... And you're going to get to heaven, and there's not, if it all gets burned up, there's nothing left that you're going to somehow lose your salvation. You won't. The Bible talks about there saying you'll, you'll make it into heaven as through fire. There's other parts that translate that, and other parts that say through, by the skin of your teeth. My teeth ain't got no skin, so I don't know what that's about. There will be some of us that will make it into heaven truly by the blood of Jesus, having nothing to offer except for just that salvation. You, you don't unearn your salvation that way. But I believe, church, I, I have to say, because I have been in this place, there are some people sitting in this room right now who have become apathetic Christians, who believe that they are saved by Jesus because you are, but are letting sin run in their lives because you're saying, well, God will forgive me, won't he? What does it even matter? We allow ourselves to cross the line. Well, it's not that big of a deal to look at this or, you know, the Bible says don't be drunk, but it does talk about wine, so like we allow ourselves to move into sin because we know that God will forgive us and he is just and faithful to forgive us, but don't think for a second that we will not stand before God and our lives will be shown before him. The things that will remain are going to be glorious. There's going to be crowns that we receive we're allowed to want those crowns. Jesus said in Revelation 3.11, says, I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. He's saying, hold on to it. Don't let anyone steal it. This is a beautiful thing. Now, what are we going to do with those crowns? I love this. We're not going to wear them. We're not going to lord it over each other. 
we're going to lay them at the feet of Jesus and worship. It's about him. It's not about us. We want these crowns so that we may worship him more with all that we have. And I promise you, the moment that you are face-to-face with Jesus, you're going to want to give him everything you have. It's not going to be feel like a sacrifice. It's going to feel like a privilege. Now, what are these crowns? Well, we could go into it, but there's the crown of rejoicing. This is for those who have led others to Christ, the soul-winning crown. There's lots of scriptures on this. If you want them, please let, please let me hand them to you. But um, the soul-winner's crown, that's not reserved for evangelists. If you are a Christian, if you have been saved by Jesus, we got to be telling other people. Every one of us can receive that crown. There, this is the crown of righteousness. It's for people who have endured the race and fought toward the end. These are Christians who then see Jesus face to face. There's the crown of life, which is reserved for martyrs. Those who have died for the cause of Christ. If you don't think that's happening here on the earth today, you are wrong. There are Christians who are dying for their faith. And God gives them a special reward, a special blessing. And then there is the crown of glory. And this is for pastors and elders who have shepherded the people. Now, if you think that that has to do with a title, you're wrong. There are so many of you who have pastored and shepherded the people around you. And when we stand before Christ, we're going to have that glory. We're going to have that joy. But this life matters, doesn't it? What we do matters. Who we serve matters. And we don't have to be afraid of the end. There are horrible things that will happen in the tribulation. There are horrible things that are happening in our world today. But we know the answer. We know Jesus. He is our God. And this morning, we're going to spend a moment and pray. Because if you are hearing this and you're saying, I don't know where I would stand before Jesus. If I were to die today and go to judgment on that judgment day, I don't know where I would stand. I don't know what I would do. There is an assurance you can have today. So will you bow your heads and pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you boldly because we know you gave everything for us. God, you gave everything so that we may have life eternally. God, we thank you that your invitation for salvation is here right now. If there is anybody here who says, I want to follow Jesus, I want to repent, and I say, I am guilty of my sin, Jesus, will you cover me with your blood? Will you raise your hand right now? Say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. Church, will you pray with me and with those others to receive that salvation? Because we don't want to do it alone. We want to do it together. Jesus, would you repeat after me? Jesus, will you forgive me of my sins? I plead guilty. Will your blood cover me? so I can be in eternal life with you. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Now, there are some of you this morning who are here who realize that their lives have not been reflecting that final judgment of our lives being presented before Christ. 
And we're going to pray another prayer. And this is going to be, this will be a quieter prayer, but this will be a prayer of repentance. This will be a prayer that we can say, God, will you forgive me for wasting this time that I have? And I'm just going to pray for you right now. If you want to receive that, go ahead. Holy Spirit, I pray for those of us in this room, Lord God, that have wasted our time, Lord God. We know you are coming. We know that day will come. But God, we don't want to waste another moment. So God, we together, Lord, we repent. Holy Spirit, would you change us? In your name we pray. Amen. Church, if you can do anything in response to this, will you tell one person that you know doesn't know the Lord, will you tell them about what he's done for you? Your testimony is powerful. If your life has been changed by Jesus, the words that you say are going to bring impact in eternity. Do you believe that? Evangelism should always be the end goal of the salvation message. So good.